0: You are listening to the Grid Iron Growl Podcast from Choptalk.com.
1: Welcome, everyone, to episode 39 of the Grid Iron Growl Podcast. This is none other than your boy David Soderquist, along with lead man in charge. At Chomp Talk, Brian Fox Jr. and the man who grades the Gators for us every single week Jake hit. And joining us today is a very special person by the name of Andrew Spivey, recruiting and football analyst from Gators country to help us discuss some of the later predicted draft picks in this draft that could possibly day, be day two or day three and beyond. But first, I just want to say thank you for joining us, Mr. Spivey. And uh, how about them Braves?
2: Yeah, I mean, we're okay, you know. I appreciate you guys having me on, and, yeah, it's fun. Uh, we get to see some guys uh, walk out in the uh, green room or whatever it may be and, you know, maybe see some guys get uh, left in there until the second round. So glad to have it back. Thanks for having me on.
1: It's first time we've had uh, Andrew Spivey on, and I know, Brian, you're a uh, big Phillies fan over there, and there's a, there's a Braves fan in here. Is there going to be any uh, virtual fist going on? or?
3: Uh, you know, as long as we stay away from baseball and talk football, I think we'll be okay.
2: <laughs> One quick thing, Ronald could is better than Bryce Harper, so it's all right.
3: That's oh, right. Man. Alec Boehm was called safe at home plate. We're good. <laughs> yeah, you still haven't touched the plate, so. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It counted. It's in yeah. the standings. <laughs> there
1: you go. <laughs> oh, man. Better than a Yankee fan. <laughs> Everything's decided by a cleat nowadays, you know? Yeah. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah. Some uh, better than others, but yeah.
3: Well, moving right into Marco Wilson talk here.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> Should uh, You know I, I know, I know we're kind of getting into it. I, you know, I, I'll say this. Pro day was good for a lot of guys. Marco was one of those guys that, uh, you know, had a good pro day. And, you know, I, I think that in a way it was good to see some some guys have pro day. I mean, Kyle Pitts. But, you know, I, I'm one of those guys say film don't lie. You yeah. know, you put up all the numbers you want in pro day. You know, a, a coach, a college coach said this to me, and I'll ask you guys this question, and I know it's you guys. I, I'll ask a question to the podcast guys here, and that is – Hey, we don't get that Should a lot. the combine and pro days be, be right after the season? A college coach a, uh, who was a former NFL coach said he thinks it should be. That way guys are not able to train for a 40 time,
1: Right um i don't know Uh, that that actually is a good uh it's something good to talk about i guess Uh, i i guess so i mean you could have the pro day or i guess the combine what are you talking about before the season even starts um yeah i I get as
2: soon as the season ends
1: as soon as it ends oh just like right after the season ends
2: yes uh Yeah. yeah so like say january 15th is the national championship february 1st is pro day
1: i think that would be a good concept what do you think brian
3: in fact, I think they should do it maybe in relation to the Senior Bowl or something like that, uh, put all those guys out in the same field and uh, see what they all can do against each other. Uh, yeah, I'm all for it. I think that would be a much uh, a much better perception of what you're actually seeing from these guys. Um, Andrew, while, while we're on the topic, actually, and Jake, I want to get your answer on that too, but Andrew, while we're talking about pro days in general, we've seen a lot of 4 3 this year uh, all across the country. Are these numbers real? What do you think? Urban Meyer stopwatch is back.
2: <laughs> I mean, yes, in a way. I mean, you know, athletes are stronger, faster, you know, more agile now than ever before. But also, there's way too many four three times, and you know, without the the concept like the combine of having the actual laser go about. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, a stopwatch. When, did, when does the stopwatch start? You know, in in the NFL Combine, as soon as their first, first motion comes about, you know, when's a, a college head coach going to do that? So I don't know. I mean, guys are still stronger, faster than everything, but I just don't think that it's any different than you know it was maybe five years ago. Four three is you know Jamar Chase is he four three. I don't know, but again, does it really matter? We know what Jamar Chase can do on the field. You know, we know what Kadarius Tony can do on the field of four three. Does it really matter if it's a four three eight or if it's a four four one? To me, no.
3: And Jake, back to Andrew's question. What do you what do you think of that?
0: I think uh, I think it does cut down on that training time a little bit, but I don't think it completely gets rid of that. You know, guys preparing for it because you still have guys who, I mean, in October, if they get an injury, they're in and then go ahead and start preparing for the draft process. And I think if anything, it disadvantages the guys who succeed more in college. Because if you play, like, in the Poinsettia Bowl or whatever, or the Popeyes Bowl, I I think that's the one. Uh, The Bahama Bowl, that's what it is. The Bahama Bowl presented by Popeyes. You have, like, from December to February to prepare, whereas, like, you still have that time advantage over the guy who doesn't. And I know we're trying to eliminate preparation altogether, but I just think that there's still that element that exists.
3: When I think one potential unintended consequence of it is you might have even more guys opt out of their bowl games. If it's especially if it's not a playoff type situation, uh, you know, Florida got hit pretty hard with opt outs this year, but imagine if they had even more opt outs from guys like Evan McPherson or Kyle Trask, it, it just would have been ugly. And Florida fans, quite frankly, wouldn't have wanted to tune in. Not that they should have <laughs> with the Oklahoma beat down, but um, it was already. You, ugly. Uh, you have any, any more thoughts on that? I mean, yeah,
2: I mean, you got a good point with the opt-outs. I don't know. I mean, you know, I was going back and forth with this coach about it, and, you know, he had some good points. He said, you know, do you really – When is when do you ever see uh, a football player get in a three-point stance, a track stance, and run a 40-yard dash? Never. You know, it, it just doesn't happen. You know, a receiver's always standing up. You know, maybe a tight end, but he's not, like, in a track stance. So I don't know. I mean, again – I'm one of those guys who says film doesn't lie, and I could almost do away with pro days and combines because I just don't care about it. Um, I I think that it shows very little about it. I mean, you have a lot of guys who are going to absolutely dominate the combine, but it doesn't relate to football. I mean, if you can't do it on the field, why should an NFL team pay you the money? I mean, uh, you know, everyone was raving about Kyle Pitts' pro day. What did we learn about Kyle Pitts that we didn't already know? He's a freak. Nobody needed to know he had an 80-inch wingspan. Who cares? We knew he was a freak
3: right and rarely do those guys who had those monster pro days work out uh you can look just in jacksonville matt jones uh, you know whatever 12 15 years ago was one of those guys and it just didn't work out he was obviously making a transition a change a, a position change but it, it just you know the dk metcalf stories are not the norm uh, that's yeah. kind of the exception to the rule
2: but uh, you know and, and even with dk metcalf i think if you watch some more film on him you'd realize just how good he was. Uh, You know, maybe it's a little bit better for some of these teams who just aren't good enough uh, to, you know, maybe showcase it. But, you know, I I don't know. I I would almost like, you know, have like a a junior, you know, senior day, you know, or a senior bowl, excuse me, like a junior bowl or something. I learn more from watching a senior bowl practice than I do against anything. I mean, you watch those guys go one-on-one against the best. And, you know, I'll go, for instance, Alex Leatherwood. I think Alex Leatherwood's a freak. But we watched him in the Senior Bowl, and we instantly said, "Yeah, that you know transition to guard is going to have to happen quicker than it is before because he just isn't really quick enough, fast enough to play right tackle in the NFL."
1: Yeah, and back to the, the uh, forty times and all that, and then the, a lot of those four twos and four threes. Do you think? Uh, I'm not saying this is happening, and I'm not going to say that I'm accusing any head coach of doing anything before I put this out there. Do you think a lot of those head coaches were purposely kind of? Hitting that button right before uh, somebody crossed the line just to get a better forty time for their player to make their school look even better at developing yeah, players. I,
2: I mean, you can't you can't say it's you can't say it's out of the question um, it, because again, if you know most college coaches, and I say most, I mean some of them are don't care about it, but most college coaches want to hit that you know graphic edit on you know next thursday when it comes out and says oh you know so and so is a first round pick and they can say all that so yeah it it wouldn't um and these nfl scouts you know don't exactly you know care about hitting the stopwatch they're relying on someone else to get in the stopwatch so again you know even like the vertical jump when do we ever see a guy stand still and jump up straight up never hardly ever they got to be running and jumping so uh, you know again we could go on and on i just i just think pro days are a waste to honestly do
1: yeah, and I I noticed a lot of those defensive Kentucky players had four twos and four threes, and I and I know Kyle Pitts burned them all game yeah. long, so yeah. I, I don't think that was true <laughs> whatsoever. But uh, uh, all right, folks, I guess we're gonna get into some of these lower you know rated draft picks that you know obviously are are in question. We don't know exactly where they're gonna get drafted if they get drafted if they wind up as a free agent. Uh, but. Uh, Later draft pick prospects from the University of Florida, and I'm just going to start out with a guy who really helped shore up a hole on this defensive line that helped the Gators get a bit more pressure for this struggling secondary, and that is a man by the name of Kyrie Campbell really filled up a hole there for that defensive line. Now, he's slated to go mid to late rounds. He started 31 out of 40 games at the University of Florida, recording 76 total tackles, 7.5 tackles for loss, and 2.5 sacks. Sports Illustrated has Kyrie Campbell as the 14th-ranked defensive tackle in this draft class and possibly going as a free agent with a 6.5 out of 10 grade going as a possible developmental guy in the draft but first off since Andrew's our guest tonight I'll start with him do you agree with this take and what team do you think would be the best fit for him if they were he was to be drafted
2: yeah I'll start with this and you know we all wonder just how big of a you know, impact Kyrie Campbell would have on this defense. And, you know, the defense was terrible most of the year. But when he did come back, things were a lot better for the defense at times. And, you know, I think at times Kyrie was – maybe misused at times i mean he's obviously not a nose tackle like he was used a lot of times Uh, you know he's more of that three technique that's gonna you know want to go after you know go after the guy's uh, guard and not be double teamed by the center and that kind of stuff so i think he was a little misused and i i I do think he'll have a decent nfl career i I think the the thing for kyrie is how much does kyrie want to be great and i'm not questioning his work ethic at all but you know, he had some of the, the problems that cost him some of the time this year. How big does Kyrie want to be? You know, you, you could easily see him slated into, you know, a team like Kansas City who loves to play the three technique with like Chris Jones and those guys. You could see him easily go on a team like that. I don't know if you really, you know, so much want to see him go to the three, four teams like the Patriots like to run that kind of stuff. Uh, you could also see him in Atlanta a little bit. Atlanta's going to go more to that four, four down lineman kind of thing. Um, I think that again, I think Kyrie can be good how much does Kyrie want to be good and I think the more he grows into that three technique role he'll be good
1: yeah and, and a lot of people I, I guess there's people out there that think Kyrie Campbell was just a guy they stuck in there just to fill the gap and fill the hole for the, the, the defensive line so that everybody could switch to their normal positions and 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 I guess you know Brenton Cox was able to go more outside and and get more pressure and uh, I You know, that could have been the reason, and and there could have been a reason, like you said, he could have been put at the wrong position that he, uh, you know, that they stuck him in, and uh, uh, who knows, man, uh, Kyrie Campbell was, what did prove to be a force on that defensive line, though, when when he was put in the game, it really helped out this whole defensive line to help out the struggling defense, so, uh, Brian, I mean, you know, your thoughts on Kyrie Campbell, or, or where do you see maybe he goes, or what round, or, I mean, just give us your thoughts, man.
3: Yeah, I mean, I agree with Spivey here. I, I think any any team that runs a 4-3 defense and can use that kind of depth, I think he's a rotation piece. I, I don't necessarily think he's an NFL starter. I sure don't think he's an NFL starter day one, um, but I think he's a good piece and that a good team could use a guy like him for depth, at least along that defensive line.
1: Jake, you grade the Gators for us. What do you think, man?
0: I love Kyrie Campbell. I absolutely do. I love him a good D-tackle, and i I like what Spivey said about him going to the Falcons because like what Brian said, you know, they have Grady Jarrett there. But Grady Jarrett can't play every down for them. And I think you need, you know, I think even if you pair him with Grady Jarrett as the rotational piece, it's really gonna be a reliable, you know, kind of guy. You also go to the Bills or even like the Saints too.
1: Yeah, and we, we all know it's Falcons fans, man, that we, we need defense and we need defensive line really bad. <laughs> um uh, yeah. and not so bad on offense though, but uh definitely need a defensive player. And hey, who knows, maybe maybe Kyrie Campbell will wind up with the Falcons or like you said, the Saints over there. So uh speaking of struggling defense, this is the guy that yeah. we just started this this uh, this whole podcast on and we were gonna get into uh, a lot of a lot of people out there, even scouts may have thought he would go very far down in the draft, but really impressed in his pro day. With an amazing vertical and a great 40 time, that was Marco Wilson. And I know everybody shrieks when they hear that name. But look, the guy didn't have a bad – you know, he – Obviously didn't have a good year, but the the whole defense didn't have a good year either. And and, and in his interviews, it looks like he put the pass behind him. He's obviously apologized and put the shoe event behind him, which is well and good. And uh, I I guess, whatever, I don't know if fans have, uh, a lot of fans on Twitter still certainly haven't, but uh, Sports Illustrated has him as the projected 30th corner taken out of this draft with a 6.5 out of 10 player value grade, which is also a developmental lower roster guy, which... I may or may not agree with, but in my opinion, the talent is there. And, uh, and some, some will blame the staff last year on the lack of defense. So that's, that's kind of in turns makes you think, is Marco Wilson somebody that NFL draft scouts may want to reconsider drafting really late? Or, uh, you know, is, was it a coaching thing? Or Marco Wilson had a couple of decent years before that. Now, this year obviously was his worst year he's ever had as a Florida Gator. Andrew, obviously, we were talking about it before the, uh, actually at the beginning of the podcast. I want to get your uh, your take on Marco, man.
2: Yeah, I, I, mean, I know you have a lot to say. Yeah, well, <laughs> there's a, there's a couple ways that I, I think we all have to look at this, and that is Marco is a very good press man corner, um, and and when I say that, that's his strength, being a press man corner. That's the strength of Quincy um Florida didn't play a ton of press man this year um uh, for whatever reason and um not even with Kyrie Elam, who I think is a really good press man corner um so I think in a way the defense did not help Marco at all um also I, I do think that the criticism that you know Marco had a struggling year is accurate you know you could point to several plays where he had the opportunity to make the play and, and he didn't outside of the throw shoot throw either that is what it is I mean I I think that's just a kid being a kid. I mean, honestly, I do. I, I think he got caught up in the emotion. But to you know, to go back on his pro day again, we knew he was athletic. I mean, he ran a you know a low four four, high four three guy in in high school. He did tear two ACLs uh, since then. So I, I guess in a way, it was the vertical again. How much does the vertical matter? I don't know. I mean, when do you ever jump straight up in the air? So I don't know on that. I do think that someone will take a chance on him, uh, maybe fourth, fifth round. I don't know there's a ton of talented corners in this draft. Uh, and and so I think that helps Marco to move up even higher up. The pro day definitely gives him the buzz. Having a brother in Quincy in the NFL helps him a lot as well. So, And I could see him fourth, fifth, maybe even sixth round in that area. I don't think he's as low as a lot of people will say um, and maybe a lot of people projected heading into the draft.
3: Yeah, and I think a lot of a lot of Gator fans specifically, when Marco decided he was going to go pro, we were like, wait, what? <laughs> Is it, we, I think we all thought it was a joke at first. Um, I, I do want to ask you, though, the lack of success that Quincy had, do NFL GMs kind of look at that and be like, whoa, hold on me? you know, Does that cause pause for these guys that are scouting him, do you think? Yeah, I do. I, I think a little bit. Um, but I think they're a little bit different players in that.
2: Quincy was a guy who... First coming out of high school, many people thought he was going to be a safety. He played corner. Um, he's played some nickel. Um, he's kind of played all over. Uh, Marco has you know, mainly played corner. He has played some nickel a little bit. Um, so I think in a way, yes, but in a way they're kind of different players. Quincy obviously isn't as fast as Marco, so I think that helps him a little bit. Um, I would wonder that. You know, I, I wonder how much scouts really put into that. Uh, obviously you know you have chad who was an nfl athlete i mean a uh, ncaa athlete as well so you know the pedigrees there so you know i don't know that it hurts him per se
3: and is chad wilson the lamar ball of the nfl if, if this happens <laughs> hey, he's a pretty vocal voice on twitter man
2: Florida fans you know they were hoping for another wilson for a while uh You know, here's the thing with Chad. I I think Chad does a good job with his, uh, you know, promoting his uh, his business and and promoting his kids. And uh, you know, he's a proud dad. You know, I I think we can all sit here and say, you know, if if our kid was, we had two kids going to the NFL, we'd be boosting about it as well. Um, You know, probably we're we're all probably glad they didn't have Twitter when we were growing up, or mom or dad would have probably been on social media with our little league home runs.
1: If he does do the uh the the, the LeVar Ball take, do you think he um you know sells a shoe or sells a cleat?
2: Yeah, know? I mean, I don't know. You could you know you could have the uh, you know the Jordan uh, you know silhouette. It could be the Marco throw shoe. Could be their logo. You know, I don't know. Just having fun. <laughs> so, uh, I'll come after the chat. Just having fun.
0: Brian, um, Gordon Gronkowski would like a word with you. <laughs> All of the
2: NFL is. What about the Watts? And JJ and TJ.
1: Yeah. There you go. And there are another one too. And Derek. Don't forget Derek. Yeah. There's three all of them. On some there respect go. on Derek's name. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Brothers of Destruction. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, that, that, they were like speculating he was going to go to Pittsburgh because TJ and Derek
1: play on Steelers.
2: Yeah. That'd have been fun. Houston's retarded for not resigning him, but
1: Jake, I know Marco's I say, your favorite guy, man. What, what, are, what are your thoughts, man? Uh,
0: uh, uh. I don't know. I think uh, I, I really don't. Uh, I, I get what uh, what Andrew was saying, though, with him being a press man corner, because I think that is where he had a lot of success. You know, with Quincy, Quincy had a lot of advantages in the fact that he was lanky, he was longer, longer than Marco. So he could play that position well. I think, I don't know. I don't really, I'm, I'm not going to call myself like a, a savant or, an expert in corners, but it did seem like Marco Wilson had a great way of positioning himself in press man coverage to kind of make up for his height or length disadvantage that he had.
3: And Jake, you're absolutely right. Even if you look at those posters, like the Texas tech one, Marco's right there. He could make that play. (laughs) Um, and, And so it's, it's hard to disagree with that. When you look at it, you're like, he's there, you know, maybe fundamentally it's not perfect, but the guy is right there in a lot of those plays. Let me ask you guys this.
2: And and that is, you obviously had two DB coaches fired uh, right, yeah. this past year, and Dan Mullen. Obviously, oh, Dave's
3: going to love this one.
2: <laughs> uh, you but, know, but and was I, really I don't buy there. into it. <laughs> I don't buy into this, but you know, Mullen obviously put the failure of the defense on Ronnie English and Torian Gray. I think Torian Gray's a fine defensive coach, a defensive back coach. Um you know, if you're Marco, how much are you putting on? Hey, well, those two guys got fired. They just didn't develop me, and you know, I'm just you
0: know throwing. I, I don't out. know because Torian was Quincy's coach.
2: Yeah, yeah, and they all begged for him to come back. So,
3: see, I don't know if I'm the NFL GM. Am I saying, hey, you're the reason those guys got fired? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, literally, you you might be talking a, a shoe toss is the difference in those guys' job potentially.
2: Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, you know, I think those two guys were the scapegoats on the, oh, on the of ball. Oh, um, absolutely. I'm just kind of playing devil's advocate here. I mean, I don't know. Again, we'll see. Uh, you know, and, and if you're fourth or fifth round for Marco better be ready to play special teams and, and help out. And, you know, you're going to camp with a job on the line. You're not guaranteed, you know, you don't have no guaranteed money. Um, You know, teams are not afraid to cut a fourth round, fifth round pick at all. So you go to camp and you have to earn it. And, you know, I, I say it's for everyone. Now I hope he does well. I hope he has a great NFL career goes and wins a few, uh, you know, super bowls and goes to pro bowls. I'd love to see it. And, you know, maybe this is just a, you know, knock on the thing. I mean, look at how many offensive linemen at of Florida went on to have great NFL careers. And, you know, coming out of college, we all said, these guys stunk. They were donks, you know. And, I mean, Trenton Brown's highest-paid offensive lineman in the, in the NFL.
1: <laughs> also been traded. Yeah. <laughs> Grantham. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> but um, Definitely, uh, I-, I hope the best for Marco Wilson, man. Um, I-, I hope he puts what he did behind him you know, no kids should deserve any kind of, I mean, I, we all gave him flack on Twitter, but I, 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 he doesn't, no kid deserves that to be honest. And, and, and that's, uh, and I hope the best for him in his future. I hope he does get to an NFL team and I hope he can prove what he can do and, and and his pro day. And, and hopefully man, you know, we see some success for Marco Wilson because, you know, I I like to see kids be successful and I know we all do here too as well. And, uh, I'm curious to see what he does in the NFL and and where he gets picked. And uh, another person on defense that showed flashes for this defense but lacked some consistency uh, was Sean Davis. And I know he's been plagued with injuries throughout his career. He did prove to be one piece out there that was playing defense that you wanted to see more on the field, I think. I wanted to see a little bit more Sean Davis a lot of times and, you know, how we rotate the defensive guys out. But uh, Sports Illustrated has Sean Davis as a ninth overall projected free safety to be taken in the draft with a 6.7 out of 10 current player value. Now, we saw where Sean Davis shined, and that was his big hits and uh, getting some key interceptions to help the Gators win some games. And I think the most notable interception that he had was that one-handed catch against Bo Throw it over your head, Nick's uh, the interception in the Auburn game, and of course, but the one that I love and I always will love because it's this game's near and dear to my heart is his interception in the Georgia game last year. Because we all know how much I love living in Georgia and hearing all the Georgia fans. So, uh, <laughs> Andrew, they possibly they got him possibly to be taken in the sixth round. What do you think overall for Sean Davis?
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, I watched him at the Senior Bowl and watched him closely, and yeah, the thing for him is this and that is you do not want him in pass coverage. Not one on one with yeah. anyone. You don't want any one on one. You know he struggled a ton when they had when they were going one on one drills and he was matched up against receivers. And but again, that's just not fair. He, him, him, Kevin tony is yeah, you know, <laughs> not not fair. That's a matchup um, nightmare. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's just not good. So you know, again, like you said, he can hit. He can play the run really well. Um, you know, and, and he can roam the field really well. He runs well. Um, can he stay healthy? That's the biggest question mark for him. Is can he stay healthy? Um, I just think he has to find the right team. You know, the right team has to pick. And, you know, you can't go to a, a team who likes to play a lot of man. You just simply can't. You have to go to a team that likes to play a lot of zone. You know, maybe a Tampa. Um, you know, maybe even a New Orleans who likes to play some a, a lot of zone coverage. You're going to have to go to a zone coverage team. You know, sixth round, I, I think it's about right. Sean Davis is one of those guys that I think will either have a long career or a very short career. And I know that's kind of – you know, counterproductive to say that. But you're I, I just think Yeah, I think he's either going to be one of those guys that catches on and you know just sticks around in the league for a long time or one of those guys who who we're talking about in one or two years is just out of the league completely.
3: What do you No, think? and I, I think you're absolutely right about that. He he's either going to have a very uh, pedestrian career. I think I don't expect superstardom by, by any stretch, but he's either going to be a very, you know, average, maybe slightly above average player, or like you said, he's, he's going to be run out of the league within three years. He's not going to make it past first contract. And, uh, and that's a reality for a lot of these guys that we're going to be talking about today, to be honest. I mean, there's realistically a 50 50 shot for everybody that we're talking about today that they're either going to make an NFL roster or they're going to make the practice squad or, or maybe not even enter the league at all. Um, and so it's kind of an interesting, this is one of the reasons we wanted you on today because we know that you, you've got as much Intel on these guys as possible. And, and uh, yeah, we're, we're excited to have this, this discussion because there is just so much potential. I mean, it could go any way with every one of these guys. And, and Sean Davis is one of those guys and hey, Six rounds sounds about right, but I mean, if he jumped up to the fourth round, if a team thought that he could be a, a heavy hitter on that back line and, and really wanted to take a chance with him, you could see it happening.
2: Yeah. And you better play special teams again, you know, a, a guy like him, you better be able to play special teams, you know, and and obviously he's not Keanu Neal by any shape or form, but right. you know, Keanu's in the same kind of, you know, shape in, in that he doesn't cover very well, but he lays the wood and, you know, all of that. Keanu was very fortunate to hop on with Dan Quinn, who Dan Quinn plays a lot of zone coverage and allows his free safety to kind of be that, that free safety that just roams the field. And, you know, again, that's what Sean's going to have to do. Uh, i I, just, I think sean has to stay healthy and and that would be the biggest thing is i'd like to see sean have a a year full of offseason workouts you know um otas now in the Nfl and then you know a camp and and then a full season I, we haven't seen it in four years
1: right yeah and we really haven't even really had the chance to see the consistency i mean like you said he's been plagued by injuries uh and and obviously you know with todd Grantham's defense he loves to rotate and rotate yep. and rotate so when you're constantly hurt and then rotating with other with other defensive backs, it's it, and safeties, it's it's kind of hard to get some field playing time. Uh, Jake the Snake, what is your take? That rhymed three times.
0: No, I think. Um, I mean, I think we've all. I mean, everybody here has already kind of talked about it. He's a, a rangy guy who is very aggressive and can make plays in the secondary. I think his, like, I'm reading this right now from the Draft Network, uh, talking about how his propensity to make the highlight reel play could really, like, affect him. Because he tried every one of his interceptions I think he picked with one hand is what they say. So that could be something for him as a safety, you know, going up with two hands. But that's a little thing right there. Um, I think his aggressive nature does get him a little trapped sometimes because I'll give you an example on the... On the play that Marco Wilson got beat by Caleb Chapman, where he's right there. But Sean Davis is by, is coming up on an over route to cover that and to see because he thinks yeah. he's going to get the ball. But he plays a very aggressive safety role just like Keanu Neal did. So that's just, I mean, something that a lot of NFL teams can like.
1: Do you think, obviously, with his yeah. good hands, um, I, I know in the NFL these there's players that get drafted as at a defensive side of the ball but then they use him on offense do you think sean davis possibly gets a role on somebody's offense because we've seen it i mean he has obviously has some great hands with all these one-handed interceptions have do you think scouts have have seen some of these plays and been like man maybe he might be a good receiver in the nfl i mean according to the draft grade it looks like he's just they think man this guy can play special
0: teams
3: yeah
2: what they're thinking that would be my guess is he catches on to be a special teams guy, I, I don't, I don't see him playing offense. So, to me, he's a, a guy who is fast, but maybe not as quick. And then with the injury concerns, do you worry about how many times he's going to get hit?
1: Right. I mean, he can definitely plow people down. I know that. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe special teams is the way to go. And, and that's how a lot of these kids are that get to the NFL. They, they earn spots somewhere else is playing on special teams. And sometimes you're on special teams the whole time you're in your NFL career and you get paid good money to do that. So, uh, yeah, hopefully Sean Davis will find some kind of position on a team. Hopefully it is special teams and hopefully it gets a shot, man. Cause I mean, he's got ability, you know, but obviously, you know, over pass coverage, as you said, he hasn't been too great. And I know he hasn't either because I've had to watch him for four years, but I, I still like him. I still like Sean Davis. Yeah. I think, like you said, he could even be a backup and, and maybe take toolage under somebody else. And he sits behind, but, uh, I guess we're uh what are we on offensive linemen now? Uh, well, we got
3: well one more defensive guy. I, yeah, I think We'd be doing ourselves a disservice not talking about Tadaro Slayton. And, uh, Andrew, what are your takes on Tadaro Slayton? And when, uh, where where do you think he might fall in this draft? Yeah, I mean,
2: I think he's the biggest mystery in in this entire you know draft class for Florida. First off the bus kind of guy. You know, from, shows at times the ability to, to be a force on the defensive line. And then he goes with what seems like games and games and games where it's just like, where's Slayton at, where's Slayton at. And you wouldn't know he was on the field, you know, if you didn't see his number out there. And so, you know, I, I think he's a guy that probably gets picked up on somebody's practice squad. Honestly, I think he probably gets drafted and then is put on a practice squad as somebody just tries to really fine tune his technique again, is he a superstar kind of guy? No, but I mean, there's a lot of defensive linemen in the NFL who make a lot of money for a lot of years who are just simply there to, you know, clog up space and help someone else out and, and be depth. I mean, most NFL teams carry 10 defensive linemen on their roster. So uh, again, I, he's just a mystery to me. I, I don't know that we've ever seen TJ Slayton be TJ Slayton hundred percent. And it, it blows your mind because you're like what would TJ Slayton be if he, came out every play, you know, kind of the same thing we talked about with Caleb Brantley, you know, a few years ago. Caleb Brantley was a stud when he wanted to play, but when he didn't want to play, he was the worst man on the defensive line. Kind of hurt him in the NFL right now because he got cut again. Um, That's kind of like Slayton. You you just want to see him go full 100% every play, and we just hadn't seen it.
3: Yeah, and I think uh, in a few years, if T.J. Slayton's able to reach the potential that he has and that he had this whole time at Florida, Florida fans are going to look back and wonder, well, what the hell happened in Gainesville? Yeah. Uh, I think, like you mentioned earlier with the offensive line guys, we I think a lot of times, like, where was this at Florida? Where, <laughs> How did this happen? Um, and I think and I hope that that's what ends up happening with T.J. Slayton here.
1: His yeah, a top one hundred recruit. Actually, was a offensive lineman, I believe, in high school. Top one hundred. Play guard. Yeah, play guard. Yeah, and uh, had to learn the defensive line there for a while and yeah. uh, stood behind a lot of people. But yeah, I mean, he, he was a big body. He had to lose weight when he when he came into into the college levels anyway. And uh, I guess Edmond and the staff had some different uh, different ways to to play him on defensive lines. They figured he'd be better on defensive line. Jake the Snake, give us your opinion on TD to Daryl Slayton.
0: He's a big old man, big T.J. Slayton. Uh, Big old bull. I mean, yeah, I think I I agree with Andrew on that. You never really saw him take over a game, but he's got the, you know, he's got physical nature about where he can clog up as a nose tackle or a defensive tackle. Sit there in the one technique on a 4-3 or play nose. And – it's just about like, like Spivey said, just him showing that he can do it consistently.
1: Yeah. Well, obviously, Daryl Slayton will be. Uh, it says fourth round, one hundred and thirty sixth overall. Um, I'm not sure about that. Who knows? Yeah. Could 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 be it? Who knows? But uh, Daryl Slayton. One of those mystery guys out there in the draft. And um, like I said before, we're going to go to offensive linemen. First, we Real have- quick on Slayton. Yeah, go
2: ahead. My, my thing is this, and that is, you know, and I'm not saying he'd be a better guard in, in the NFL or college or anything else, but, you know, all defense linemen say, I want to play defense because that's where I get stats. Offensive linemen don't get love. Yeah. What, you know, what would Slayton be if he was a guard? You know, I think we'd have different conversation right now. He was a really good guard in high school. Yeah. You know, more of a run blocking guard, but you know that's what the NFL wants. They want their guards to be able to run block, pull and run block. So I don't know. That was just a statement that came up. You know, maybe sometimes we need to look back and say, is it always best to be moved to defense?
1: Yeah. See, I had that kind of that same thought when Daryl Slayton was was put on the defensive line, and I and and, and I watched I watch a lot of film on like these high school guys because I love recruiting and and I just like watching film, and I was always curious to why they did move. Daryl slayton to the defensive line and i think maybe it, i'm not going to say it hurt him but it could have hurt him he could have been one hell of a guard yeah. it, but we'll never know and maybe some of these draft guys are probably thinking maybe he would play good at guard or you know who knows man
2: it wouldn't um, be the first time they moved in the nfl
1: yeah it's funny to see a lot of these kids that play certain positions in colleges and may not be like the, the greatest draft pick for that position, but then they go play a different position in the NFL and they're in, they're fantastic. So, uh, um,
2: Dunbar is making a lot of money as a cornerback.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. Right.
0: <laughs> Isn't that crazy that if I were to tell you in 2014, that, Hey, when Dunbar is going to be a cornerback at the NFL for like five plus years to be like, what? He's yeah. not even gonna make a roster.
1: Yeah.
2: Couldn't catch cold, but that's what a corner does.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, give props to Will Muschamp for that, man. Yeah. And and he's a defensive guy too. <laughs> yeah. You
2: know, Tevin Westbrook is a tight end and Quinn Dunbar's a wide receiver. <laughs> and well Muschamp's now an analyst, so
1: <laughs> it's amazing how that works. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right, offensive line. Uh, first off, I'm gonna go with Brett Heggie, who's had a lot of time here at the University of Florida, did not play in 2016, but definitely contributed from 2017 all the way to 2020. 31 starts and 41 games played. Sports Illustrated has him at the ninth projected center in this class to be taken with a 7 out of 10 player value, which is the, actually the highest player value on, on this list of players that we're going down, which puts him in the category per SI as a backup for a team. So uh, your thoughts on Brett Heggie?
2: I think Brett Heggie's going to have a career in the NFL. I'm a huge Brett Heggie fan yeah. simply because for me, and I'm sure you'll agree with this, an offensive alignment. I just want to see an offensive line be me, you know, offensive line is simply about, you know, who do you want it? Do you want to beat the guy in front of you? I mean, that's just my take on offensive line. And it's, it's an effort kind of thing. And Brett Heggie is, he's went through so many injuries. If Brett Heggie can stay healthy, he'll be on a roster. I, I just think Brett Heggie can play guard. He can play center. Um, and, and he's a nasty guy that, is gonna be very smart. I mean, remember he was accepted into Notre Dame. He's a smart guy. Um, I just think he's gonna be a guy who'll stick around on a roster for a long time just because of his ability to do so much and be smart, be able to play. And he's gonna come out and he's gonna give you effort. And for me, that's all you want on an offensive line. I mean if I'm a if I'm an NFL scout, I'm taking Brett Heggie you know, late in the in the draft and I'm just putting him on my roster and finding a place for him.
3: Yeah, I completely agree with everything he just said. I think both of the offensive linemen that we're going to talk here both have NFL careers ahead of them. Uh, Both of them are going to be, I think, mainstays along the offensive front for somebody. Um, Hagee, like you said, man, the guy is just an intelligent guy. He has a high football IQ and a high motor, and I think he's going to do really well uh, in the National Football League.
0: Yeah, the reason he's probably fallen so hard is, like Andrew said, he had so many injuries, but he was able to play through a lot of them too. Didn't he play with a
2: concussion one game? yeah play with a messed up shoulder for half a year
1: yeah that's a tough guy. so i mean he's he's a tough guy yeah definitely somebody that's not going to get shot up uh, the, outside of the bench I, I wouldn't think so but yeah i i thought but where i saw brett heggie in this in this si draft prediction i i was just like i i was kind of the same way i was just like i think he's gonna get a. I I would assume he would be a lot higher than that but uh yeah yeah it's I mean when you've pretty much guarded a especially in 2020 you I mean like if you look at the offensive line obviously the right side of the offensive line is not as good as the left side but we all know who's playing on that right side of the offensive line and I'm not gonna go say his name because I'm not gonna be mean but um (laughs) he's back he's back for another year yeah uh that is uh I, I'm not going to say his name. I, I'm not going to be both on the back, actually. Yeah, yeah, they're not that good. Hopefully this year. They maybe. would get your point. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'll quit doing that. But uh yeah, Brett Heggie, obviously he fantastic. I think even with the offensive line woes on the right side, I think the left side in the center did so good in project and protecting Kyle Trask, and he, a lot of people overlook that. Now we didn't have a running game, but if you look at a lot of those passes that Kyle, you know, Kyle Trask had to to sit there in the pocket i mean he had some time not on not all the time but he had some time and uh, i think brett heggie was part of that the next offensive lineman who lived up to the name stone was stone forsyth uh, he's also the son of former nfl offensive lineman ray forsyth now he's played left and right tackle mostly all at left tackle so he's also projected to go in the late rounds as well not exactly a day one starter in the nfl but with his versatility to play different positions on the line and helping protect a Heisman candidate quarterback in Kyle Trask who threw for over 4,000 yards uh, in 2020 does look good on his resume as well. Opinions on Stone Forsyth?
2: Not a left tackle. right tackle probably. Um, You know, he he has every bit of measurable you want out of a tackle. I think he improved a ton this year. Um, And, you know, I think that his draft stock is hurt because when you look at Ford's offense line, instantly the word terrible comes to mind. Well, sure. there was some good, you know, pieces there. Peggy, Stone, you know, at times Josh Braun, at times Ethan White. Um, but the rest of it was bad. I think that maybe hurts uh, Stone. But when you, you look at his size, and, you know, I, I know uh, – I think it's Mel Kiper or McShay One, I'm putting him in, in their top 100 at one time. Um, I, I think it's reasonable. I think he's a guy that's going to play a long time. And, you know, you, you look at Martez Ivy and people, you know, always say, well, he didn't make the league. Martez Ivy's not a tackle. He's a guard. Yeah. Um, you know, but then you go look at a guy like Fred Johnson stone, just like Fred Johnson, in my opinion, he was a guy who, um, you know, played out of place at times. I think he's a right tackle again. And I, I do, I think stone makes a roster. He can play left tackle if need be, uh, and he's got the measurables. I, I think Stone plays and, and stays on a roster. Is he a fourth round pick, like some are saying? I don't know, but he's definitely a you know a fourth to fifth to sixth round pick. I think he's picked for sure.
3: Yeah, Stone Forsythe was one of those guys that. I actually noticed him towards the end of the year and just the progression and the development that it seemed to come by. Uh, I know entering the season, I kind of saw the entire offensive line as a weak point, but like you said, with Brett Hagee and with Stone I I saw a ton of development, and it only makes you wonder, you know, if they had had that extra year, if they if they wanted to come back for one more year, what kind of tape they could put out there and where they could end up? Because both of these guys, I think, have huge ceilings, and it's just a matter of whether or not they're going to crash through it. I, I think I agree completely that um, you don't see foresight on the on the left side, but maybe on the right side. Of course, and at Florida, he was pretty much stuck on the left side with with a right-handed quarterback. Um, but yeah, I, I completely agree with everything you said on that one. I, I, it doesn't seem like much of a mystery with with him here.
0: I think he he could he go to a great place that does a lot that throws a lot more than they run, which is almost every single team, but like teams that really do focus on it. Um, and you know, he's got the frame to get himself a starting job somewhere.
3: So depending on what Atlanta does with that four pick, maybe uh, maybe that's an offense that <laughs> Stone Forsyth would succeed in really well. Not at four. Not at four. <laughs> Not
2: We're at all four. On the Justin Fields train. Wow! We'll oh, get into that one later hits.
1: because <laughs> yeah, ninety two nine's crazy about him. Uh, apparently, <laughs> when I listen to ninety two nine all the time, Dukes and Bell, uh, I, I, those are my favorite guys. Dukes and Bell and 92.9, and they rant and rave about Justin Fields, and they they want him as quarterback. So we'll see. But anyway, we obviously know the Falcons' offensive line hasn't been too great either. So uh, it's it's you really need like offensive linemen, a running back, and some defense. But I mean, we'll see. Uh, some people say. The Falcons may just take Kyle Pitts. Who knows? Uh, but we
2: yeah. need, we we need to save some time at the end to have this discussion. Oh yeah, because oh, yeah. I I think this is a discussion. I I, I I'm interested in this discussion.
1: Well, we only got one more guy here that's uh, that's slated to be drafted maybe later in the late rounds, and that's Evan McPherson, kicker. A very consistent kicker. Uh, Didn't have his – I don't think he had his greatest year this year, but he was still pretty decently consistent and obviously has the leg. Um, We've seen the videos. We've seen him kick uh, 60-yard field goals for us. Uh, What do you guys think about Evan McPherson? Do you think he makes a roster as a starter for a kicker?
2: I don't know it's a starter, I mean, but again, you know, kicker life in the NFL is very pretty short. I mean, you, you see outside of, you know, Matt Bryant, Adam Vinatieri and, um, you know, a couple others seems like they're, you know, Matt Prater and, um, the guy at Kansas City. Um, it seems like, you know, there's a lot of changes there. Um, I agree. I don't think Matt had has the best year overall. He had COVID middle of the year. How much did that affect him? I don't know. You know, a lot of people get on him about the LSU kick. That was tough conditions. I mean, I, I just, yeah. I don't blame him for that. I, I You know, we can, kicker should make it, sure, but should, shouldn't throw the shoe and you wouldn't be in the situation after the field goal. So right. there, there's that. I, you know, I, again, I don't know that he's drafted. First of all, I don't think any kicker or punter should be drafted.
3: Ever. Him I agree. Yeah. <laughs>
0: hey, him hey I mean. Ray guy, Ray guy would beg to differ, sir. Okay, he's a Hall of Famer. though. Who's good.
3: Yeah, Mister Tampa Bay fan over here. He knows about kicking, picking kickers early. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> <not sure laughs> I FFC hate
0: kicker. Oh, I hate man. the Glazers. I hate them so much.
2: Winning you a championship, I'm, I'm okay with that. <laughs> Still waiting for Arthur Blank to deliver one. Yeah. I, I I think McPherson, you know, figures out a way. But, you know, I I look at Eddie Panera, for instance. You know, he's one of the better kickers out there. Strong leg, everything else. He's the backup right now. Um, You know, does McPherson have the strongest of legs in the in the world? Yeah, he has a pretty strong leg. Is he the most accurate? I think that's where a little bit the question is. Um, Can he kick off? Yeah, he can. You know, I don't know. I, I just, I don't think you pick him. But I think he probably makes a roster as a practice squad. Probably I don't know that most teams don't take two kickers, so I, I don't know.
3: Evan, were you? Excuse me, Andrew. Were you surprised that Evan made the decision to to skip his fourth year? Uh, and then you know, do you do you think he made the right choice?
2: Uh try to tread carefully with this. I think there was some upset people around him getting called out for the LSU game. And I think that that pushed that decision maybe a little more. Um, Yeah, I think that was it. Do I think it was a smart decision? No, no kicker should leave early. I mean, that's, you know, I I say that about Eddie. Eddie should have never left early. You know, I I just, I don't see it. Use your eligibility, get your education, because you're not going to kick in the league very long unless you're one of the greats.
1: You think that's why uh, Marco kind of left there too?
2: I think Marco was just tired of Florida fans.
1: Yeah, that's what I, that's what I think, too. I think he's like, all right, <laughs> screw this. I'm going to the NFL draft. Y'all tired of look.
2: you guys. Let me go get picked on by the NFL media for a
1: while. <laughs> yeah, Eddie Pinero. He's he was, contractually obligated to do that. I, I think you're right, though. I uh, mean, yeah. Eddie, Eddie Panero had a leg. I mean, and he was... For the most part, he was consistent, but he wasn't consistent. Consistent. And you see those NFL kickers that that last a long time in wow. the NFL, they're very consistent and they hardly ever miss a field goal. Now, I've seen it happen, obviously, but, uh, you know, and then you mentioned Matt Bryant, man. That guy was like 50 still kicking 60 yard field goals or something. How, how old was he before yeah. he retired?
2: Like 48, 47, something like that.
1: Yeah, he was there but, for a long time. You know, time. I
2: mean, look at last year. It seemed like last year, everyone was, you know, dropping a kicker every week almost. And so yeah. I, I think that it becomes a situation where you you have to be consistent or
1: you're going to get cut. And do you think maybe he saw all those kickers getting dropped and said, hey, maybe I got a shot in the NFL. Maybe it's my time. They You know, so-and-so dropped this kicker. Maybe I can go. Maybe I can do it. You know, I don't know. I, I think, and it wasn't me just, I, I don't think he deserves blame for that LSU game at all, period. I was never mad at Evan McPherson yeah. for missing that field goal. I mean, the condition, I mean, I know LSU kickers made, you know, he made the field goal, but right. I mean, the conditions were really crappy and it was really foggy. And uh, he, I don't think did, if,
0: I don't think if you gave Cade York the same opportunity, he would have made that field goal.
1: Right. And you, somebody put him in that position. And obviously we all know who that was, but somebody put him in that position. That's not his fault. Okay. Yeah. So that, that's how it was. Well, I, and think. I
2: think, you know, when you look back at the his first two years, he was very consistent. I think he only missed one field goal his first two years. Um, and then he, what was it, four, three or four this year? So obviously it wasn't his best year. But uh, again, you go to training camp, Kickers got to earn a job in training camp.
3: Andrew do you think the uh, coaching staff and Dan Mullen in particular were, were they kind of surprised that, that that McPherson made this move shocked. it doesn't seem like there's there's much left in the cupboard there in that kicking position
2: yeah shocked I mean that's why they ran out and got Christmas from uh, Jace Christmas uh, from Mississippi State I mean they were just shocked and you know I think there was a little reason to be shocked I mean again many kickers don't go pro early um, and I think you know Mullen think, thought he had a better relationship with McPherson. I'm not saying McPherson caught him off guard. He obviously told him ahead of time, but I think that he felt like he had a better feel on things uh, for sure. I, you know, I think that the kicking situation this coming year is going to be pretty rough. Um, Jace wasn't very good at Mississippi State. He was beat out for the job. Um, it is going to show you, you got to have a good kicker. I mean, good kickers are going to win you a lot of football games and they can lose you a lot of football games as well. Um, you know, you, you look at, you know, Alabama always make fun of Alabama. As great as Alabama was, I can never find a kicker.
3: Yeah. And before we shift gears a little bit, I do want to bring up Trayvon Grimes. Uh, I've seen anywhere from fifth round to seventh round to undrafted potential. Uh, Do you think Grimes benefits from the number of receivers from UF that were drafted just a year ago?
2: Yeah, I do. And, you know, I think he benefits from a guy like Tyree Cleveland, you know, going and having, you know, he was underrated coming out of, you know, Florida didn't get drafted until, what, seventh round by Denver after they took two guys ahead of him. Um, so I do. And, you know, when you look at Trayvon Grimes, he's physically gifted. He's got all the tools to be there. Had a really good senior bowl week. week. Uh, you know, he, he went out there, did very well. Uh, you yeah, know, I think the thing with Trayvon is always going to be is can he catch the ball consistently? can he, can he be consistent? And that'll hurt you in the NFL. Um, the good thing is for Trayvon, he can come out and he can play special teams, getting return for you. If you need to, he's really fast, really physical kind of guy. Um, you know, I know some people say, Oh, he's a fourth round for sure. I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of really good receivers. Now that could also mean that teams are going to get happy in the middle rounds and say, Hey, we need a receiver because there's going to be a run on receivers early. Um, I think he finds a roster. I, You know how productive he'll be, I think will be depending on how consistent of a player he is. He just he's inconsistent, in my opinion.
0: I'm just glad he's he's got got all the tools to make all those great 50 50 catches that some teams love. And I think the one the 24 7 uh, are uh, that CBS mock draft has him going to the Raiders. And freaking John Gruden loves himself a big old uh wide
2: receiver, just look at Zay Jones. How many receivers they need? though? good grief!
1: <laughs> I'm just glad he made some great catches and was consistent at Georgia game. That that made me really happy.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, if he you... had his he had his moments. That was for sure.
1: All right. Well, we we pretty much ran down every name on this draft that could get drafted later rounds. Uh, some of the names you don't obviously hear of uh, in Mel Kiper's overall draft predictions or draft rounds uh i mean if you we want to go into the obviously the kyle trask's the kyle pitts's and Kadarius tony's um we can if that's something you want to do brian we can go into it really quick uh jake brian andrew
3: well, I'd like to see what Andrew thinks. Where do these guys land? I, I wanted to start with, obviously, Kyle Pitts. We talked a little bit about what Spivey wants to see the Falcons do at number four, because there's a lot of discussion, uh, particularly nationally, that, you know, that picks kind of up in the air. But it sounds like the the media up in Georgia and a lot of these uh, Falcons fans would like to see Justin Fields in that uh, black and red up there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, here's the, here's the question I have, and
2: that is, you know, you have – you have Julio, you have Calvin Ridley. Would I love Kyle Pitts to, to come in and be that guy, to go with him, um, to go with him and, and be that kind of three-headed monster there? Absolutely I would. But, you know, is tight end an absolute necessity for the Falcons? No, it's not. The thing for me is this, and, and this is where, as a Falcons fan, bothers me. Are we one player away from being Super Bowl contenders? No, not not a chance. But you also got the fourth pick. Matt Ryan's not getting any younger. If Justin Fields drops there, I'm taking Justin Fields in a heartbeat. He's an Atlanta kid. I don't care what anybody says. Justin Fields is a talented, talented quarterback. He can make every throw out there, can run, has the height, everything else. If Fields isn't there, obviously I love Kyle Pitts, but I, I just think that in a way – you kind of got to trade back and see if you can get multiple picks. Again, this is not a team that's one pick away from being a Super Bowl contender, and obviously, no team in the you know top five are. But this is a team that's better than the Jets. They're you know they're better than Jacksonville. They got players. that, I don't know. What, I, if what it's about the fields? Eagles? I want to trade back. Are they better? So that's
3: where I think if even with the idea of maybe taking fields, maybe you move back to six or so. Maybe Justin Fields is available at six because I mean the, the talk is Miami's looking at Pitts hard. So if you can trade up with Miami and then hope he's not taken, obviously at number five. But you know you you crew a few more picks later on or whatever the case may be. But uh, you know I, yeah, I'm kind of surprised to hear that, especially from somebody who covers Florida and knows what a unicorn as Dan Mullen calls and yeah. Kyle Pitts is and what he might do to that offense. Because you you said it, man. Matt Ryan's not getting younger, but he man he's a he's not a bad quarterback quarterback. quarterback (laughs) oh I love Matt Ryan the thing for me is uh,
2: again the offense isn't the problem in Atlanta the the offense has never been the problem in Atlanta now obviously Dan Quinn had Dirk whatever his name is thanks for Jake for (laughs) sending him up there from Tampa but um yeah I I don't know the man oh oh, Dirk (laughs) well yeah I, I would love Kyle Pitts in Atlanta don't get me wrong as a as a guy who covers Florida and knows how good Kyle Pitts is, yes. As a guy who wants the Falcons to be a Super Bowl you know, championship team, I don't know. I mean, it, I guess if we're looking at just getting there this year, yeah, maybe. But I just think with the fourth pick, you need to start planning. And if Justin Fields is on the board, I'm taking Justin Fields, and I'm not taking any chances at all for that. And then I'm hoping and praying Najee Harris drops to the to the first, first part of the second round, and I'm taking Najee Harris.
3: Yeah, I just I don't know. And I'm not an Atlanta fan, so I don't pretend to be. But I am a Philadelphia Eagles fan, and I think they're in a similar situation where they're not just one player away. And to put a quarterback in that top five, top 10, top 15 pick when you have so many other issues, it just seems unfair. And especially with Atlanta, where you guys have an established quarterback, you're talking about using that fourth pick on a guy that is most likely not going to play next year. And I, I think I have a hard time selling that to a fan base if I'm a GM. Yeah. Maybe not in Atlanta. He's from there. I get I, it. But <laughs> I am of the
0: opinion that it is absolutely impossible to draft a guy top five at quarterback and not play him. If, like, I've seen it happen a few times now with Jameis and Baker Mayfield. And I just don't I just don't see, you know, eventually guys just find their way on the field.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, obviously you're going to take Justin Fields and you're going to let him know that he's going to sit for two years. And I don't know that it's a bad thing. Justin Fields has only played a year and a half of ball at Ohio State. He's still got a lot to learn. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, some people are saying, oh, well, Trey Lance is there at four. No, 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 no. Do not take Trey Lance. You know, if, if you could guarantee me Mac Jones was going to be there in the second round, I would take Mac Jones in the second round and say, hey, go draft Kyle Pitts or, or whoever it may be in the first round. Um again, I, it wouldn't hurt my feelings if they traded back. It, it just wouldn't. Um, I think this team needs a lot.
1: Do you think maybe they take Pitts and then try to take their chances maybe next year or the year? It's like Brian said. Matt Ryan's not a bad quarterback. I mean, you, you've still got some years on Matt Ryan. Do you, do you take the chance and maybe get Pitts and then wait a year, wait a couple years to maybe see if there's another quarterback you can take down the line? or?
2: Yeah, uh, I just I mean, like developing a quarterback. You know, I you know we know how good um, Aaron Rodgers has been up sitting behind Brett Favre, and I know that's you know a once in a thing kind of happened. But I just think that I hate a quarterback being thrown into the fire. You know, like Trevor Lawrence, I hate it for the guy. He's going to Jacksonville, and he's getting thrown into the fire. It's just yeah. not, you know, that's not good. I mean, Sam Darnold, you can't convince me Sam Darnold's a terrible quarterback. No, you saw a terrible football team. You gave him no support, and you threw him out there to the wind. You know, I, you know, even with. A guy like Baker Mayfield, I think we, we were able to see Baker kind of grow into the role a little bit. So, I, I, again, there's a lot of ways you can go. And if if Atlanta drafts Kyle Pitts a four, I'm not going to be unhappy about it. Heck, good luck double team. You're not double teaming, you know, you're not going to double team Kyle Pitts and leave Julio one-on-one. Good luck. So what are you going to do?
1: How about you just take Pitts and then uh, trade for uh, Willie Greer over there the, for the Panthers? How about that one? Willie Go. <laughs> no, thank you.
3: So, Spidey, no, if, you, you. if you think uh, – No, thank you. <laughs> hey, if you've got Justin Fields going number four to Atlanta, where do you have Kyle Pitts going in this draft?
2: Then he would. I, I think he would probably go five or six. I, I definitely don't think he drops past six with, with Miami. Yeah, there's um, no way. And, I mean, here's the thing. Kyle Pitts is the second best player in this draft. And there's no doubt about that whatsoever. Uh, obviously, every team is, you know, driven and loves quarterbacks. And, you know, it's a, a quarterback-driven league. So I, I think that that hurts him. But there's no doubt Kyle Pitts is the second-best player in this draft. Uh, and if he goes – I don't think he goes past six. The question for me becomes is, you know – Let's just say Atlanta says they're gonna draft Justin Fields, you know, do teams start calling about the f- fifth pick or the sixth pick and trying to get Kyle Pitts and, and trade up for him, you know, knowing that, you know, obviously Miami's already made it clear they're gonna trade out the sixth pick, you know, if they can get Kyle Pitts. So that would be interesting. I think after three, this draft gets absolutely crazy. You know, does Devontae Smith go before Jamar Chase or does Jamar Chase go before them all? Where does Jalen Waddle fit in all this? Where do all these guys fit in? After three, I just think it gets absolutely crazy. Um, And I mean, I guess at three, San Francisco takes Matt Jones could really get crazy.
0: I think three's the wild card in this draft because it determines a lot of other things. Because if they take take Justin Fields or Trey Lance, that's going to affect Atlanta's pick. And then my Bengals are pretty much, it's destined that you're going to take Penny Sewell or Jamar Chase, I think. Because you're not going to pass up the opportunity to have one of the nation's best receivers and Joe Burrow's old teammate, number, his old primary receiver, be on your team. You're also, your offensive line is just straight-up terrible. And then the the Dolphins need a playmaker. But yeah. what's what who are they going to take if whatever Atlanta picks is
2: off the board? You know? so the other thing with Cincinnati, if you don't take an offensive lineman there, you're crazy. I mean, you've got some playmakers. Um, you, you've got T. Higgins, and there's playmakers all at this, you know, up and down this draft at receiver. You know, obviously, all the playmakers at receiver are not going to go in the first round. I just think if you don't take an offensive lineman at five, you're crazy. But and maybe trade back. I mean, obviously, nobody else in that five is going to take an offensive lineman. So maybe you try to trade back. I don't know.
3: Yeah, if uh, Kyle Pitts falls to six as an Eagles fan, I'm going to be so disappointed. Um, <laughs> Kyle Pitts is from Philadelphia. You know, he'd love to be up there. Uh, and for them to trade out, I, I don't get it. Uh, Philadelphia is a horrible GM. Uh, somehow we won a, a Super Bowl, which I will always be thankful for. But my God, hey, has it been. That a is UF alum Howie Roseman to you. Okay. Yeah, lucky us, right? But <laughs> Jalen Hurts is your starting quarterback. Hey, man, if you put Jalen Hurts there with Kyle Pitts, with Dallas Goddard, those receivers are going to start looking a lot better, okay? <laughs> that was my thought. I thought Kyle Pitts was made for this Philadelphia roster, and there they
1: have traded trade backed. Oh, my God. <laughs> Just remember you NFL teams out there. I was in a meeting one day, and a guy came up. He's like, hey, he's kind of like a unicorn. And the only way
2: you can defend a unicorn is with another unicorn. So if you don't have a unicorn on defense, you get a problem.
0: (laughs) Who would a unicorn on defense be? Like Isaiah Simmons? I don't know.
2: (laughs) J.J. Watt.
3: (laughs) Yeah.
1: uh... (laughs) Yeah, that's (laughs) true. I mean, I think it'll be interesting. You
2: know, I think that, you know, I, I think we talk about all that. And I think, you know, the run-on quarterbacks could help Kyle Trask. You know, uh, is Kyle Trask a first-rounder per se? And I I think you can make the argument he is. I think I can also make the argument that he isn't. Um, but I think I can also make that argument for Trey Lance. I think I can make, also make that argument for Mac Jones. Um, but I think teams get very worried, and they start picking, you know, quarterbacks. And, you know, let's just say Fields, Lance um, – let's just say they all go – early first round and you have Matt Jones and Kyle Trask teams are going to trade up into that late first round and draft one of those guys because they're going to get scared they don't want to be left you got I think you got six quarterbacks in this draft that are really good and after that it's even you know monster drop off nobody wants Kellen Mond playing quarterback so then are you crazy yeah so after those six quarterbacks people are going to get really scared and I think that helps Kyle Trask I think that helps Mac Jones and I, I do. I think all of them could e- easily be first round. But I think definitely by the second part or the midway part of the second round, they're all gone.
3: Spivey, what do you think of the chatter, man? There is a ton of talk out there that Mac Jones is going to go number three. I can't believe I'm saying that. I, I feel disgusted even saying that. I'm I'm so glad I'm not a San Francisco fan having to hear that crap, man. It would suck to be on San Francisco sports radio right now. I just, I, I can't envision a situation where that happens, but, I mean, you're hearing a lot about it. You, you think this is just chatter at this point? You're talking
2: to the wrong guy because I'm a <laughs> Mac Jones fan. I Ugh. love Mac Jones' game, and I think Mac Jones fits Kyle Shanahan's you know roster to a T. But why trade to three? You know, it, I, I I might be wrong. Were they twelve or something? Yeah, San Francisco, something in that range. You could have got him there. I think if you're trading up the three now, granted is Trey Lance better than Matt Jones. I don't think so. I I just don't. And I, if you're trading up the three, you better take Justin Fields in, in my opinion. Um, but you're obviously not. I mean, well, I say obviously not. I mean, it doesn't seem like they are, um, I just think Mac Jones and Kyle Trask are going to be two guys that are both going to have a long NFL career. Neither of them make very many mistakes. Both of them are super smart. Uh, you know, are, are they the most mobile guys? No. But I mean, look at some of the guys in the NFL. They're making a ton of money right now. Tom Brady's winning. <laughs> through Matt <Cowboys>. Ryan. <laughs> Matt yeah. Ryan. Hey, Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan's winning football games. Uh, you know, Tom Brady's winning football games. Drew Brees is winning football games. I mean, a lot of quarterbacks are, are winning a lot of football games, just being able to pass the ball and not be mobile quarterbacks. And I think both of those guys are there. Um, again, if either one of them dropped to the second round, I'm cool with my Falcons taken.
1: Yeah. Uh, and and, and Obviously Alabama quarterbacks have not had the best of luck in the NFL, but I think Mac Jones is one of those Alabama quarterbacks. It's it's a lot different from the you know, the the ones that have entered the NFL and have not had successful careers, but I, I I actually do like Mac Jones too. I think he's very I think he's very decisive, quick and decisive. That's that's what I like about a quarterback. That's what I want in a quarterback, but sometimes quick and decisive gets you a lot of interceptions in the NFL too, so you never know. I mean, (laughs) I hate
2: the term, though. You know, people say, well, Jalen Waddell and Devontae Smith made him look good. Somebody has to throw him the ball. Exactly. Somebody has to get them the ball. You know, I hear people say, well, Kyle Pitts made Kyle Trask look good. Sure. Kyle Pitts still had to get the ball, somebody had to deliver it to him, and that was Kyle Trask. And, you know, even in games where Kyle Pitts didn't play, Trask had good games. Uh, You know, again, I I think whoever drafts Kyle Trask is going to have to you know, develop him further. I don't think he's as further along as a guy like Mac Jones is. Um, and I say that because Mac, you know, was played a lot more in, in high school and, and played some more in college. Um, again, I think both of those guys are really good quarterbacks. I think they could you could easily make the argument after Trevor and Justin Fields are going to be the best in the NFL um, out of this draft class.
3: And Spivey, I think you could make a point that Kyle Trask made Kyle Pitts. Kyle Pitts was nothing under Felipe Franks. Yeah, when when Kyle Pitts came in, or excuse me, when Kyle Trask came under center, that's when the Kyle Pitts thing started being a uh, real yeah. deal.
1: And you had no run game either, so you had to throw the ball every play. So defenses know you were throwing I mean, the ball. And, and you're could still Felipe,
2: could Felipe make Jerry Rice look good?
3: If if Jerry Rice was know if that Felipe single could read. Make Jerry Rice look good. If if Jerry's that single read and he's wide open, maybe. Oh,
0: I I definitely think Felipe can because if he's the first read on a slant route, it's I mean that's it. he he could, he could gun in
1: a slant route. <laughs> on double coverage. <laughs> <laughs> All right, last guy Kadarius Tony. Oh yeah, I, it's a sore subject a little bit. I, I he did really good in his you season, know. Season. Uh, I mean, a thousand yards, man. He could have had a thousand yards this year if he yeah, played yeah, the bowl I'm, game.
2: You know, my mobile connection to Kadarius, I've known Kadarius since his sophomore year in high school. So it's obviously a, a biased conversation for me. But, you know, Kadarius Tony had a had a rough at it. I mean, first of all, he was injury-prone forever. Um, you know, the staff didn't trust that he could run routes. But when you're a guy that fast, you find a way to get him the ball. Um, you know, a lot of people say, oh, well, he's just a joystick that runs around the field. Sure, but put him in one-on-one in the open field and find anybody that can faculty. You're not going to find anybody. Right. Um, with the right NFL team who uses him correctly, and I think a lot of NFL teams are starting to do that, I, I think, you know, Kadarius Tony will be good. The biggest question for me with Kadarius Tony is can he stay healthy? Obviously, there's going to be bigger, faster dudes hitting you. Can you stay healthy? He's gotten a lot bigger. Um, again, I think the run on receivers early helps Kadarius Tony. Teams are going to get, you know, very scared, you know, towards the end and say – or towards the end of the first round, early second and say – Man, these playmakers are gone. I better trade up and get Kadarius Tony. You know, continue to hear Tennessee talked about. I think he'd fit great Tennessee. Uh, him and AJ Brown together, I think they would be a really, really good combination.
0: I think yeah. his best fit is. Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, Brian. I just really want to talk about this. Go ahead. Um, his best fit has to be like, and this is going to sound really basic, but either the Saints or Kansas City because. They've shown that no matter literally any personnel they have, they can get guys the ball and make them successful. I mean, Andy Reid is a mastermind. He's an evil genius. He's got 17 different dudes all with the same body type and skill set, and he puts touchdowns in their hands almost all the
3: time. CJ, I'd go even a little bit further and, and, and use the connection here. I think Jacksonville at 25 would be perfect for Kadarius Toney. You give Urban Meyer a guy who, and, and I don't want to draw necessarily the comparisons to Percy Harvin, but you give him a very similar type of player, a guy who basically you put in his hands and he can take off. Uh, you pair him with Trevor Lawrence, and that's a hell of a first round by Jacksonville right there, I think.
2: Yeah, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't argue with that at all. Um yeah, I wouldn't argue with um, with the Saints. I mean, with Taysom Hill. They can do a lot of things with him and Taysom Hill together. Uh, you know, I, I would even say New England. Um, you know, I, I'm not comparing him to Wes Welker by any means. I think they're two different players. But look at the way Belichick and Josh McDaniels, they ever get Wes Welker the ball. You know, you get Kadarius Toney the ball like you did Wes Welker. Some things are going to happen that didn't happen with Wes Welker. Um, I think the biggest thing for, for Kadarius Toney is – um, he has a lot of options and I think a lot of teams are, like I said, are going to get very anxious that they're going to miss on playmakers. Um, and I, I think that'll help him. I, I really think that Darius has a good career as long as he stays healthy.
1: Yeah. I'm- that's a concern to me. Is is his size? He's gonna have to get bigger when he gets to the NFL. Uh, these these guys are like you said, bigger, faster, and stronger. And Kadarius Toney, man, it's it, he he's that type of receiver that doesn't have to have the speed because he has the hips. He can make DBs miss like just in one quick jolt, like he's gone and, and there's nobody around him. And uh, I think that's the the plus side to Kadarius Tony. And like you said, you want him at kind of like a receiver role to where I mean he's gonna take tackles and take hits as a receiver role, but not as many as you would have him doing something else. And, and, and you know, being that kind of all-around athlete, I, I don't even think I would put him on special teams just because of his size, but uh, particularly wide receiver. And, and like you said, yeah, I think Jacksonville would would be a great place for Cadarius uh, Kadarius Toney. I mean, that's that you actually sparked that. <laughs> that was one hell of a comparison there, Brian, because I was just like, man, yeah, you got Urban Meyer there, yeah. Trevor Lawrence, and then you get Kadarius Toney. There's gonna be a lot of excited Jacksonville Jaguar fans when uh, when next year rolls around with uh, Urban Meyer there. Be a good pickup for
2: sure. I, yeah, I think there's a couple teams um, that for sure. And you know, everyone always talked about well, speed doesn't do anything in the NFL until Tyreek Hill started doing what Tyreek Hill did, and you know now everybody's looking for the next Tyreek Hill because. You know, it's just different. I mean, when when you're matched up with potential linebackers and safeties out of the slot, and you know, especially if you motion motion them out of the you know the backfield, who's guarding? Right. There's not too many guys that's going to guard him. I mean, Patrick Sertan is probably the best cornerback in the NFL draft, and he had zero chance of guarding Kadarius Tony in the Alabama game. Florida could have ran the fly route with him every play, called it, and told Patrick Sertan it was coming, and Kadarius would have still won that battle.
3: Actually, I, I I completely agree with what he said. I'd I'd like to switch gears a little bit, get off of the uh, the NFL draft just for a minute. Uh, Spivey, what's your take on Florida's miss? You know, lack of a spring game this year. Every Saturday and every Sunday, it appears I'm I'm watching a lot of spring football, and I'm not seeing Florida. There was this special feature that was supposed to come out that we have no idea. There's no details about. Uh, is this a, a real big opportunity missed by the Florida administration?
2: Yeah, you know. I... I've been very, I don't want to say harsh, but very critical of this staff and, in this program about creating excitement for itself. And, and it really, you know, hurts them. You know, I go back to last year, Tim Brewster still has never been announced as a Florida coach on Twitter in, in, a, in an article or anything. Tim Brewster is one of the best recruiters in the country. You know um, I, I do, you know, I mean, especially with this virus stuff going on, you know, kids are at home right now they turn on the the game and they see them on, on the TV. It's instant. You know, kids are going to sit down they're going to, you know, watch it. They're going to see things. And, you know, fans too. And I, and I know, you know, the programs say they don't care, you know, so much about the fans watching spring game. Those are people buying tickets next year is going to be big for tickets. I mean, a lot of programs hurt big time uh, because of COVID they're going to be begging people to get tickets. Uh, You know, I think, Mullen was a little bit concerned about what the product was going to be on the field, especially from the offense side of the ball, with, you know, Emery and Anthony Richardson not being able to run the ball. So I think he did it planning to, you know, maybe not show his hand a little bit. But I also think in the spring game, you can do what you wanted to do. You could have made it to where, you know, I mean, you know, Chris Dorian called a touchdown in one of the spring games in the middle of the end zone. So I I do. I think it's a missed opportunity, but I think that's kind of the one thing that's bothered me the most uh, with Dan Mullen and his program is just not creating excitement for yourself. You know, social media does a lot of things for you.
3: Oh, we've talked about that, you know, so much. It, it it's depressing almost. The lack of a Heisman campaign for Kyle Trask last year was absurd. I, I that was the worst promotion I've ever seen in my life, and and they waited until it was too late to even try, and and it was just. Who knows what would have happened in the vote otherwise. But uh, yeah, that is something this, like you said, the staff, they they don't seem to care about, you know, the attention to detail like that. And, And it's really frustrating when you hear a coach talk about the fans living up to this Gator standard. Well, damn it the program's got to do it too and we've got to follow that lead the fans don't come without a good program so it's got to come from the top down and that's just something that this staff seems to miss and it's part of why I don't see Dan Mullen being in Gainesville maybe even three years from now I don't know how you feel about that but look recruiting's obviously not his thing it's never going to be uh he's doing well in the portal but yeah it's kind of frustrating for me What what are your thoughts on any of that
2: Whew. Got another hour of take here. Wow. <laughs> I mean, you know, I got a lot of heat for it earlier in January when I said, you know, Dan Mullen was looking for a way out. And, you know, I do I think Dan Mullen, Dan Mullen is one of the best game day football coaches in America? He is one of the smartest football coaches in America, but he doesn't care about anything else besides that. You know, the, the recruiting part, he doesn't like, he doesn't care for, it. Uh, you know, it's obvious when John Hevesy's trying to recruit for you and he can't land anyone. I mean, I think all four, you know, all four of us in here would love to play for the orange and blue. And I don't know if John Hevesy could recruit any of us to play for him just because I don't know that his message is good enough. Um, so I think you're right. I mean, I, You need someone, and, you know, I I don't know who that person is, but someone needs to really get in Dan Mullen's ear about it. And, you know, if Dan Mullen doesn't want to do it, hire someone to do it. You know, um, the graphic design team, Kevin Camps and those guys do a great job of it. But if you're – if at the top, you know, I always say that the boss or the president of the company has to be the one pushing the message. And if Dan Mullen's not pushing the message and his 11 assistant coaches or 10 assistant coaches aren't pushing the message, then what is it? You know, like, for instance, Kyle Pitts, we all knew how good Kyle Pitts was, but why weren't you pushing it more? You know, uh, you could have made the argument Kyle Pitts should have been in, in New York and uh, not New York, but in the virtual Heisman push, you should have made that push. And uh, you know, it, it bothers me like it bothers you guys, and it you know in recruiting as well. You know, there's zero reason Dan Mullen shouldn't have one of the best you know recruiting classes. I always say Florida should be top five. If You're not top five at the University of Florida in recruiting classes. You're not doing something right. Best athletes in the world live within two hundred fifty miles to five hundred miles of your campus. Yeah,
1: yeah,
3: it, and, and Dave talks all the time about how Florida swings and misses on these in-state products, and that's just something that cannot happen at the University of Florida.
1: That's that's well, a good athlete, problem.
2: I mean, A. G. Hall or however you pronounce his name uh, from Tampa, uh, yep. he just had a, a, an amazing spring game for Alabama. Okay, he bypassed one of the best offenses in the country to get there. How did that happen?
1: Yeah, and actually, he was considered to be a Florida lean from the get-go at the beginning. Obviously, Alabama was able to reel him in. And uh, my thing, too, is presentation's everything. Even if you don't care about a spring game, if you don't care about whatever, presentation's everything because that's what everybody sees. If you can present something out there, especially to these recruits, these recruits watch television. I mean, they, they don't just sit on their phones all day and play Warzone or whatever games that they got on their phones. Like, they sit and watch TV, too, and they sat and watched all these spring games, and especially Alabama's spring game where they had 40,000 fans in attendance and and, then chucking the ball all over the field. Uh, Georgia had theirs, uh, and and you have Kentucky obviously didn't have theirs, and then now you have us, and we're going to give you, what, a two-hour special on what? Maybe. (laughs) On practice? (laughs) And here's
2: here's the thing, too. Alabama brought up 100 recruits. They couldn't host them. They couldn't talk to them. They brought them up, and we all know how that is. They 100% talked to those guys. They 100% bumped into Nick Saban, you know, and, and everyone else. You you had an opportunity to get them on campus. And especially as early as Florida did it, they could have really, you know, had some of the best kids on, on campus. And, you know, some people were upset that they did it as early as they are. I don't care when you do it. You can do it in the middle of June. I don't care. Yep. Just have the presentation and, you know – we always get upset. Well, the media, the national media doesn't take Florida serious in the polls. What do they have to go on? They didn't get to see a spring game.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think one of the, the really disappointing parts is we're all on Twitter. We're all very engaged, all four of us that are on here right now. Uh, you know, all weekend I had to see Georgia highlights. Uh, retweeted by, you know, fans and then also retweeted by the SEC, the SEC network. Uh, you know, I'm seeing this crap all day. And it's like, man, really Florida just missed out. Cause these kids are just as in check on this stuff as we are, if not more so, and they're not seeing anything about Florida. I have no problem whatsoever with Florida doing the early spring game. I or the early spring practices. I like it. I think, you know, that gets them out ahead of it. You can get these kids, the playbooks, let them, you know, work together or whatever, but to not, capitalize on being the only team that's going at that time and taking basically prime-time coverage, I think is a huge miss. And it's something that, unfortunately, we see from Dan Mullen and this staff all too often.
1: It's it's kind of like one step forward, two steps I'll back. take it a step further. I'll take it a step further. You know, Florida's the
2: only school in the SEC that can take care – I mean, take advantage of the likeness rule. Outside of Florida saying they're going to create a program for it, we haven't heard a lick about it. And, you know, opposing schools, you know, media members, we all talk and they ask me all the time, why is Florida not pushing this more? Why is Florida not pushing this more? And I'm like, well, they kind of are behind the scenes. And they said, well, what about kids who don't know about it? And I'm like, I don't know. Can't tell you.
3: speaking about recruiting, just very briefly, there's a pretty big recruiting weekend coming up the uh, first weekend of June. Uh, Is there any names in particular that you're looking for that weekend and maybe pop a a commitment or a surprise maybe?
2: Uh, I don't know that there'll be a guy per se commit. I I think that the – Opening the dead period is going to cause a delay in commitments because now kids who have not taken visits, you know, for a year and a half, are going to want to go on these visits sprees. You know, you're already seeing June fourth, eleventh, and eighteenth are like the biggest weekends in recruiting. Um, and, and Florida's, you know, doing the June first Junior Day thing already. And so I don't know that there will be, but I think it'll be interesting just to kind of see, you know, the excitement that's created, and then can you can you maintain that buzz? I think it's going to be a totally different thing because. I think you're going to have 75 to 80% of official visits done by the summertime. You know, are you going to have, how are you going to get guys on campus in the fall? You know, it's going to be unofficial visits. So I think instead of getting an official visit, now the race is going to be who can get unofficial visits in the fall. Um, And I think who can, you know, maintain the bus. That's what scares me to death about Florida's recruiting class is they're going to get a guy like Gentry Williams, number one athlete in the country on campus June the 4th. He's an Oklahoma lean. Couple hours away from Norman, Oklahoma. Can you get him back on campus again before December when he signs?
1: Yeah, that's a that's a good question. <laughs>
2: yeah, Evan Stewart's uh, another guy, Frisco, Texas. Can you get him back on campus again?
1: Yeah, uh, Nick Evers will have to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Love Nick Evers. By
2: the way, I, you know people harp on the you know whole star things. First of all, people doing the stars, they don't know what they're talking about. Uh, Nick Evers is a baller. Oh yeah. And you know, I he earned his elite eleven invitation. Great family. Um, he knows he's coming to Florida to sit for a year or two, and he's okay with it. I, I like Nick Evers. I think Garrett McGee hit a home run at, uh, with Nick Evers.
1: Yeah, and me and um, Connor Clark, we we jumped on that one early too. He was, I think, he was ranked like 449th overall in his composite before, obviously the uh, the the camps and everything. Yeah. Um, I we were I was looking at his film and I was like, Holy crap, this kid's good. Like he, he progresses through his reads really quickly, knows where to go with the football and finds the open receiver and he doesn't it doesn't take him long to do it. And I was just like, That's something that I mean Kyle Trask had that same ability. I mean, he obviously would throw balls accurately enough to where his receivers could catch the ball, obviously, but, I mean, he still could go through his reads and his progressions pretty quick and deliver the football. And that's what I, that's what I saw when I, like, watched Nick Everett's film and I was telling Connor, I was like, hey, man, he, he might be good. And then, obviously, he goes to the, the camp in Dallas, gets MVP there, and, uh, obviously, his composite's now at 283, and I think Rivals still has to uh, update their rankings here soon, so he might even go higher in his composite on 24-7. But, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely saw it with Nick Evers, and I, and I like the fact that he's in Evan Stewart's ear, but it's like you said, uh, how many times are you going to get Evan Stewart on campus? But
2: uh, Yeah, and, you know, some people said, well, he's a three-star. How much pool does he have? Well, I think you're seeing it. Yeah. You know, half the guys that are visiting on June the 4th are because of him, you know, and, and, and the guys that he's recruiting everybody. And, uh, you know, I, again, I don't want to say Del Rio and Kitna didn't recruit. I mean, they did a little bit behind the scenes, but – You know, they didn't. Anthony Richardson wasn't a big guy. Nick Evers is on everybody, and you want to see that from your quarterback. And I love it. I love to see it. I love to see him, you know, big on social media. And, you know, will he land an Evers-Stewart or a Gentry Williams? I don't know, but I think he's going to be a big help in landing some guys for Florida.
3: Yeah, I think I have more trust in Nick Evers than I have of Dan Mullen or anybody on that staff, really.
2: (laughs) I knew that one was coming. (laughs) If it's not Tim Brewster recruiting and – yeah, I mean, outside of that, I don't know that I trust a, a lot of guys. I'm I'm I'm
0: convinced that Tim Brewster could sell air to a fish, could yeah. sell land to a fish. Like, w- just listening to him talking spring practice stuff. Like, I didn't fall for it, but like, it was so positive and constantly selling you on something that, I, I it's no wonder he's such a good recruiter.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I think he's I think he's really good. Him and David Turner, I think, are, are really good. Um, you know, I, I, again, it's we're going to see. You know, um, I, I don't know that a lot of people understand this, but, you know, when you look back at the SEC championship game in Atlanta, 72% of the starters – or 75% of the starters were Jim McElwain kids. Yeah. It's going to be your first year that you're going to pretty much go all Dan Mullen recruits.
3: Yeah, I've told Dave this. Uh, you know, we, we yeah, kind of uh, crap on Jim McElwain a lot, but that was his team, really. <laughs> uh, yeah. If Jim
2: McElwain was not stuck with Randy Shannon and Doug Nussmeyer, he'd have been a really good coach.
3: Well, and I mean, if you wouldn't always have held
0: a- on to those two guys, he would have been a really good. Coach. Well, he had no choice with Randy Shannon, but.
3: Well, and I think we're always going to have the what if with uh, you know the the Will Greer situation because that might have been a national championship team that we were watching there, and uh, who knows where we'd be at this point. But, um, hey, I, I mentioned earlier that I don't see Mullen here in the next three years. Do you see him coaching at Florida three years from now?
2: Mm. I Bull mean, you prediction. know, my first answer is no. My first answer is no. Uh, That's dependent I mean, on an NFL team
3: deciding they want to hire yeah, him. Yeah, I mean,
2: obviously he's not going to be fired. I, I right. don't think he'll be fired. I mean, I, I do. I honestly do know and, and, and believe there's a lot of rift, you know, between him and administration. Him and President Fox do not see eye-to-eye on things right now. You know, it starts with the COVID stuff from last year. Um, you know, I don't know, you know, how much things have been repaired between him and Scott Strickland per se. But things are not good. But also, you're not going to fire him. I mean, the thing for me is is I don't know that he wants to be in college. And you know, people laugh and say, "Well, the NFL stuff was fake." No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. His agent was calling people. You know, did he call people? No. But no coach calls anyone. His agent was calling people. Fact of the matter is, nobody took him. Nobody wanted to interview him. And again that's a little a little bit because of his own self he got in his way a lot of his own self last year he fumbled at the mouth too many times last year
1: I think that's why a lot of kids went to the draft earlier too or uh you know like Evan Pearson we probably know why Marco Wilson went but uh you know kids that were supposed to probably needed to stay the next year and then just kind of went to the draft do you think maybe that kind of had to deal with it a little bit too
2: yeah, I mean, I think so. And, you know, I think some of the at receiver, you know, you, you kind of think, too, like, do they kind of know something about the quarterback situation we don't know?
1: That's what I was always wondering. I was like, there's a lot of kids. And, and especially, the well, I could see yeah. why they opted out of the bowl game. I mean, obviously, you're not going to be, be playing for a national championship or anything, right. but um, it was just kind of weird, man. I, I don't know, but. Uh...
2: Never boring with Florida. It's never boring with Florida. Never boring with Florida at all. The all seasons are never boring. Winning is never boring. Losing is never boring. Nothing is ever boring. There's always something going on uh, with Florida. And it's just been a weird. It's really has. It's been a re- really weird year. Um, yeah, I think we learned a lot about Dan Mullen this year. I honestly do. I, I really do. This is his team. Um and I think fans, and, and I, you know, I don't know this for a fact, I feel like I feel like fans are starting to become uneasy with him. You know, when he first jumped off the plane and did the Gator Chomp and got Florida to, to the Orange Bowl, everyone was jacked. And then they kind of seen last year, and, you know, there was zero reason Florida wasn't playing in Atlanta undefeated. There just, there just wasn't. I mean, it, the a the and game was on Dan. The LSU game was on Dan. I mean, just it, it is what it is. Those games were on him. Um, I think the talent is – not there in some places you know everyone wants to you know talk up the receiver room the receiver room is very uneasy right now I mean you know outside of Henderson Shorter and Copeland it's a lot of what-ifs I mean I think Juquavion Frazier is going to be good Trent Whittemore has a chance to be really good you know Burke and those guys have a chance to be good it's a lot of what-ifs the tight end room next year it's not very good You know, what does the offensive line room look like next year? And, you know, does the defense get better? Or or was it really Todd Grantham that we all think and believe it was? It's just a lot of question marks. I think 2021 is a huge year for the Florida program.
1: That is correct. 2021 is an important season for Dan Mullen. And, you know, hey, we're going to see Dan Mullen's guys now. So, yeah, like you said, it is a big important season for Dan Mullen because this is Dan Mullen's guys now. He's going to have his guys interjected, the guys that he recruited – Not the Jim McElwain guys, so it'll be interesting to see what happens in the 2021 season. But man, we've had you on for overtime a little bit here on the Gridiron Growl podcast. We've got discussed all the lower draft picks here in the NFL draft. And, uh, you know, enjoyed you, man. Uh, First time we've had you on the podcast. And uh, you know, very credible person over there at Gator Country. And uh, just tell everybody where they can find you on social media and other platforms.
2: Yeah, first of all, anytime you guys, it's been fun. Enjoy talking ball with you guys. It's uh, hopefully uh, gets listened to, and hopefully we weren't too wrong on these picks. But yeah, at Gator Country on uh, on the web, and at Andrew Spivey GC on Twitter, um, there will be plenty of bray tweets. So Brian, you may want to mute me during <laughs> Bray's games. I will keep you up to date on that. But yeah, I appreciate it. It's uh, it's been fun. Uh, enjoy talking ball, and you know, one thing I, I am upset about is we did not get into Mike White. That's going to have to be for a different episode.
3: Let's do it, man. I'm ready.
1: <laughs> yeah, I am too. We all got different opinions about that one. Yeah, yeah. should be fun. <laughs> all right, Andrew Spivey, we'll have you back on, especially when the uh, either the Phillies play the uh, Braves or the Eagles play the Falcons. How about that? There you, there you go.
2: Jalen Hurts cannot beat
3: Matt Ryan, so we're good. <laughs> but he might beat Justin Fields. We'll see. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, hey, Andrew, really, man, we appreciate you coming on. Uh, You guys do a really awesome job over there at Gator Country. Um, I know personally, Ethan Hughes has done a phenomenal job in that baseball role. Um, You know, I definitely want to give him a shout out because he does a hell of a job over there and as does everybody there. But I just I really want to appreciate what you guys do and and just, you know, let everybody know that it's a good spot to go and and get some information on pretty much anything Gator related. So
2: I appreciate it. I'm giving him a hard time because they're losing right now. But, you know, he's (laughs) doing a good job. Sully's going to get it together. They'll be good. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, appreciate it, guys. Anytime. Y'all just love it. let me know. I'll have to get you guys on our podcast and I'll uh, chop it up there. All right, Definitely, let's,
3: man. Let's do it. Yeah,
1: let's do it, man. All right, Andrew Spivey, our man over there at Gators Territory, going into a little bit of overtime talking NFL draft and uh, the prospects that you probably won't hear much about and where they might land, and uh, as we do on the podcast we go into other sports during the offseason during the football offseason Brian I know the uh, gymnastics team did not have a, a good day uh, if you want to go get into that one real quick just to start it off with and then we can uh, finish up there. Yeah,
3: Saturday was a tough day for the gymnastics team. They entered with uh, ambitions of their fourth national title as a program. Uh, unfortunately, they finished in fourth place out of the four squads that were still left. Um, they just had a disaster on the beam, which was their first apparatus of the night. Uh, both Trinity and Peyton fell. And basically after the first uh, first apparatus, they were done with, um, and it was pretty much over for them. Um, really disappointing. Uh, Jenny Rowland and the, and the girls were very upset afterwards it, it, was, it wasn't an easy interview that we had through zoom with them but um, but they'll be back there It's a great program and, and Jenny Jenny's got the respect to these kids and and uh, yeah I expect nothing but the same results next year and uh, with Trinity Thomas coming back I I think she can carry them to a national title next year, barring, you know, they, they, they were a really injured, really banged up team this year towards the end, and uh, it really kind of derailed the season. But like I said, next year, I, I really expect them to, to have a much stronger outing and a, an even better team as they welcome several of the best gymnasts in the world in the recruiting class that they just signed. Jake, what are your thoughts on the way that the gymnastics season ended? Well, I think whenever... I I mean, I think whenever you get to the final few teams
0: in any sport and you do it the way Gator Gymnastics did, I think your expectation is, you know, they're going to win the national championship. But it gets to that point when you get to those big stages, when you make mistakes, they typically result, uh, end in you not winning. And so, I mean, just a bad day on the beam for them really just cost them. And yeah. you, know, you, can't, you can't get mad about a team like Michigan winning its first ever national title in that sport.
3: Yeah, I, I completely agree. Hey, I want to move on to postseason action in volleyball. Uh, on Sunday, we saw an incredible match as Florida topped Ohio State. Uh, uh, Dave, you're familiar with this. We uh, we pretty much have Ohio State's number in postseason sports, don't we?
1: Uh, yeah, pretty much for the most part. <laughs> I've, have they had even one win? Uh
3: not that I remember, but uh, Florida gets past Ohio State 3-1, to and it was really a block party, and it was pretty phenomenal fun to watch. Um, actually, tonight, Monday night, Florida dropped a uh, a five-set thriller. Man, it was an exciting match that uh, Florida and Wisconsin, the number one team in the country. Uh, it's important to note that Wisconsin entering the match had only lost three sets all season. Florida won two in this match, and they actually had a lead in the fifth set before kind of blowing it, but Jake, the, the prospects for this team moving on and looking at next year, this is going to be a really good team returning. And, uh-huh. you know, the result tonight doesn't really indicate what this team has in store for the future, does it? No, because you got –
0: I mean, you're going to have potentially everybody coming back. You're going to have Marlene Montrey running that offense and Lauren Forte still playing in the middle. Um, I, I don't know about – Sokolowski feels like she's been there forever, but you're going to have Tara Caesar. And it's just, and Lynn Warren Dooley will be there too. Um, can't forget about her, but, you know, they could have just easily, I think they didn't, when Wisconsin won that first set, 30-28, and then they won set two, and then Wisconsin came back with, with uh, when in set three, and they could have easily folded after that set three loss, but they came back and they forced the fifth set, and they were on top of them. I really thought they were going to pull it out, but it's hard, man. It's hard playing that well against, the number one team in the country.
3: Yeah. And I mean, look, Gator fans are going to be disappointed the way it ended, but man, that's something to be proud of. What we had the pleasure of watching tonight was just really good volleyball. Uh, I, I think I put it on Twitter. College volleyball was the real winner here because that was an exciting match. Even to a casual fan, you could have been, you really would have enjoyed that. Uh, If you weren't watching that fifth set, you really missed out, I think.
0: It reminds me when they played, uh, was it Stanford or Nebraska a few years ago? They played a five-setter that was really, really competitive
3: yeah absolutely. Uh, hey, moving on to a um a conference championship we We haven't had to you know be proud of too many of those just yet this year. Um, the lacrosse team actually won the regular conference championship for the American Athletic Conference because the SEC doesn't sponsor lacrosse right now. But they did it by sweeping uh, two games against an SEC opponent in Vanderbilt, uh, and the scores weren't even close. They, they beat Vanderbilt 17 to 7 on Friday and followed out with a 22 to 9 win on Sunday. So they still have three conference games, but they've already clinched the, the conference. Um, and then starting May 6, you have the conference tournament, uh, which concludes on the, on May 8th. Uh, this is a really good lacrosse team. They're uh, kind of under the um, radar a little bit on the national scene, but a lot of that, I think, has to do with them playing in what is relatively a weak conference. Uh, Jake, any, any thoughts on the lacrosse program right now? I mean, Amanda O'Leary just
0: keeps winning games, and they're going to go into the NCAA. Uh, the, the, a, do
3: they have a, a conference tournament? I always forget. Yeah, May 6th, the conference tournament starts. It's here in Did Gainesville. Did you just say that?
0: I did. I said that, I'm, you said that, and I'm a big dummy for not listening, but I mean, look, they're gonna go to the NCAA tournament and it's gonna be expected they make a run. I mean, it's just crazy to see how consi- how dominant they've been in such a short amount of time existing. Like, I mean, they're it's not only that like, oh, they're winning in their conference and they're winning it consistently. It's not like they are now nationally recognized as a lacrosse team so they're gonna be dangerous i watch out
3: yeah and i believe this is their 10th conference championship in 11 years as a program and 10th straight at that uh just a heck of a job by the program like you said mandy o'leary knows what she's doing uh she's got as much um respect as pretty much any coach on this campus right now uh they are led by shannon cavanaugh and Grace Haas. Um, statistically anyway. Uh, Why don't we move over to the diamond and let's just talk about what was actually a really good week of baseball. Uh, Jake, any, any initial thoughts before we really dive into it? I mean, uh, this is, this is the, this Gator team is so frustrating. (laughs) They are the
0: 20, they are a more talented version of the 2019 team just to start out with this conversation.
1: (laughs) About do or die time for them. Huh?
3: Well, and I mean, they're doing it right now. They they started the week on Tuesday with a win over Florida State. Uh, that was a kind of redemption win after that 10-2 debacle in Tallahassee last month. Uh, but then they swept Missouri, and, you know, all the scores were pretty close. It was 8-5, 8-6, and 6-4. What, uh, what I found particularly interesting was that Nathan Hickey, the catcher, caught three games in a span of 23 hours. Uh, this man played catcher for 27 innings, uh, including a doubleheader on Saturday because of the the weather in Gainesville on Sunday. Um, look, man, maybe they're getting hot at the right time, or maybe they're just facing a really bad Missouri team. That's very possible. Uh, they traveled to Jacksonville on Tuesday before traveling out to Auburn and, and hitting the planes uh, against the Tigers. Um, after that, they have a, a, the midweek off, and then they're going to face Vanderbilt at home, and that's going to be a real test. Uh, you're you're going to learn a lot about this baseball team, I think, for that series. I don't know. This this,
0: this baseball team's just an enigma because, you know, it, the, the first game, you're up on them 7-1 in the first – Couple innings, you let them get four runs back almost the immediate inning. And Sully always talks about those rebound runs. That really could have been a disastrous game for them. And they were able to get out of it. And then that first game of doubleheader, Tommy Mace spots up five runs and they got to claw their way back. And then what happens the next inning? Tommy Mace puts guys on. One of them was a hit. So you can't really argue that. But then the other one was, you know, we put him on base. And then you gotta bring Jack Lefwich in, which credit to Jack for getting out of that with just the one run, but then it blows the lead for you and you gotta get the lead back. And then ending in six to four, I mean Hunter Barco had a really good day and have that giving up four runs really spoils it.
3: Yeah, Trey Vanderweg wasn't very good. Um, I, I, mean, he wasn't bad and I never felt like the game was, uh, was going to go the Missouri way, but, uh, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a great way to end, uh, what was a really good outing by Hunter Barco, um, Barco kind of put them on their back. Uh, the starting pitching was kind of rough, but, uh, you know, I would nominate Jack left, which is the pitcher of the week. He pitched four strong innings, uh, against Florida state and then bounced back with the six innings that you mentioned on uh, Saturday when, when may struggled, like he did, um, uh, yeah, a heck of a job by Jack Lethwich who kind of got bounced out of that weekend rotation. I don't know if that means that he's going to jump back in. They've already announced that Timmy Manning will be getting the start in Jacksonville. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what Sully goes to. Um, this weekend as far as a rotation against Auburn Uh, moving over to softball though softball, man, what a weird week they had. They started out the week with a loss on Wednesday against central Florida. It's their second loss against the Knights. Uh, This time they lost seven to nothing. And, you know, there was a lot of questions. I think after that game, like, man, was this team just looking ahead to a, a huge Alabama series where the number five and the number three teams were going to play? Well, Florida bounced back in a, in a pretty big way. They won two to nothing on Friday, a real good game from Elizabeth Hightower, and then the the offense kind of exploded against Alabama on Saturday with a nine to two win before dropping uh, the Sunday fun day final um, two to four. But Jake, this, this softball team man when, when they want to play, they, they might be as good as any team in the country. What is it about UCF yeah. that's just got their number? I don't know. maybe UCF's just really an
0: underrated team or yo, know, those midweek games are tricky because when you play the smaller teams, that's their big game. you know I mean, and everybody's got their conference games that are huge, but like when you're playing the number what number two team in the country, and you know, you have the opportunity to get a really quality win, and you're a pretty good ball club, and you already beat them. Yeah, I mean, that, that's that's going to make you play harder and it's going to make you be the aggressor. And I think that's what UCF was, uh, during that midweek game on Wednesday. And then, but kudos to Florida to bounce right back after that and take two out of three from Alabama.
3: So the Gators traveled to Florida Gulf Coast and Fort Myers. Uh, But on Wednesday and then on Friday, Saturday and Sunday, they're going to take on South Carolina and SEC play. That'll be here in Gainesville. Um, If you don't know, they've limited, they've changed the seating. So now many more fans can fit in and you can actually buy tickets at the box office prior to the game. So uh, make sure to get there and check out the game if, if you're, if possible. I think that pretty much wraps up what's happening in the other sports right now. Jake, you got anything else? Uh,
1: Nope. (laughs) Nope. David, what about you, buddy? Does the UCF women's softball team have any relation into the football team possibly winning a national championship again?
0: Look, I don't know if we can make this joke anymore because Danny White doesn't exist, at least at at UCF.
1: That's true. They're riding the Gus bus now. So is the Gus bus going to be derailed the first season or do you think it's going to uh, soar to to new heights (laughs) like the magic school bus?
0: I think it's, I think we're going to see UCF Jesus
1: make an appearance. (laughs) Did they get a UCF Jesus like Auburn Jesus? Hey, you never know, man. I guess that covers other sports. It's in, we'd cover all sports here at chomptalk.com. And I know it's been a wild week here for Gator sports, uh, especially the gymnastics team and the softball team. But of course there's all kinds of weather in Gator nation. And if you know what we say here on the gridiron growl podcast here, every single week in all kinds of weather, We don't just stick together, but we also keep it together.